If you have financial problems, we have financial answers. Hey, everybody, Pete the Planner here, CEO of Hey Money. We built this company specifically to help you solve your financial problems, to answer your financial questions without trying to sell you stuff along the way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get amazing answers from amazing people for an amazing price of about $20 a month? Yeah, it's pretty great. That's why we created Hey Money. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. And if you use the offer code radio, that's the word radio, you can get a discount because we like you more than everyone else. Callheymoney.com. Yeah, this is for the people living day to day, living check to check, make a little money, pay some bills, yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And we will email you nothing back. We'll answer your question on the air. Joining me after his cross-country trip to the, the likes of which no one knows, it's Damian Dunn. Welcome back to the program, my friend. It is great to be here, Pete. Thanks for having me back and giving me my job after Kristen filled in so admirably for me. I mean, I don't want to point this out on the air, but uh, you know, we do record on Facebook Live typically. This week, we're not because of the holiday. She got a lot of views, Dame. Yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up, but uh, she's basically doing twice the numbers of anything you and I have done. So I think that probably tells us a little bit about you and I. Well, the, the ultimate experiment would be me going out and you two doing the show and then seeing what happens. You know, it'll go through the roof. I'm down for that. Except I won't let you post on my channels. All right, Dame, here's what we got this week. We've got uh, I want a mid-year halftime market update. So we're going to start there and then we're going to answer some questions. Are you game? Yes. Are you game, Dame? It's Dame time. Dame time. All right. Now, I've sent you this. So you are tainted. You were permanently tainted. Mm -hmm. But if you were just to say, how did the first six months go in the financial markets in these United States? What would you say? It's not just what you've sent me, but it's it's something that I look at usually on a weekly basis just to see where they're at. And I would have said it was a bit of a mixed bag, uh, honestly. Um, some things might surprise, uh, might seem surprising on the face of it. But if you think about the, uh, the entirety of the situation that we're facing and what we've gone through this, this first six months, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Would you go with awful, awful first quarter and incredible second quarter? Would that be part of your analysis? Yeah. I don't know how it couldn't be. It's, you know, it was the sky is falling in the first quarter and then find something to grab onto because if you don't, you're going to get left behind in the second quarter. It was, it was nuts. I mean, haven't we learned though, and this is not pointed toward you, but have, haven't we learned though, that when the sky is falling in the market, we can, we can just add for now to that. The sky is falling for now, but it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, take a long enough term, uh, look at it and sure you, you're going to be right. Well, so far a hundred percent of the time. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's an easy prediction to make. It's just stomaching that volatility in the short term, especially if you are within that magic window of preparing to retire. Um, that's that's uh, anxiety that that basically none of us are, have to deal with and not something I'm looking forward to in the future either. Okay, I sent this to you and I wish I hadn't because it would have been a better guessing game had I not sent it to you. Yeah. But I'm going to give you some categories and then we're going to guess on, on what is done well and what has done not, not so well. So there is oil, transportation index, 
the Russell 2000, the Utility Index, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 Index, and gold. Mm, Gold. Okay, of all the ones I just named, and again, I'm asking you not to look at what I sent you because we're we're still playing a guessing game despite the fact that you've seen this. And I just hope that you have a bad memory. (laughs) You know what? That's not going to work. Okay, here, oil was the worst. Oil was the worst. And that makes sense, right? Absolutely. Just from a supply and demand standpoint, I mean, you, you could teach an entire high school econ class supply and demand by what's happened with oil in the last six months. Yeah, totally. 35% uh, reduction, decrease in the price of oil, 35%, which then leads right into the transportation index, which sort of is adjacent to oil at Minus 15.86. Again, not so surprising. Yeah, car makers couldn't sell anything during the first six months of the year because, well, nobody was using cars and nobody knew if they were going to have a paycheck the next month to uh, to count on. So, you know, you don't go out and buy those big purchases. So, again, this makes perfect sense. Next up, or down for that matter, is the Russell 2000 index minus 13.64% to start the year. Now, uh, this is where I out myself as to not knowing anything more than usual. Dame, when it comes to the Russell, are those small companies? Or uh, how are you it up? Russell 2000 is... When do you think anyone that hosts a financial radio show would know like how the Russell... Because every time I turn on a financial show that's not mine, I, I hear guys are like, Russell 2000, and they know. But then I'm, I'm here and I don't know. And I'm hoping that in me doing this, you've Googled it and you can tell us. <laughs> uh, Russell 2000 is a small cap stock index of the... Okay, I did know. Yeah, the, 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 the uh, smallest 2000 stocks, which makes sense, of um, the Russell 3000 index. That's clever. Listen, here's the thing. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say small cap companies. It's possible that this part of the challenges there was they, they did not have the stability you know, the, the prudent financial positions internally to stomach what has just gone on. And so it's not terribly surprising that they're down 13.64%. Do you view that different or is that a, about your take on it? As small companies usually get a beating in down down period time. So, so indexes like this would um, reflect that. So one of the things that you would look for uh, in a recovery is small caps to maybe lead the way out of uh, performance wise, at least out of a recession or a, a downtime economically. This one turned around so quick, though. It just I don't think that, that had a chance to materialize. If you're just joining us, I'm Peter Dunn. Pete the Planner, this is the show. Damien Dunn joins me. No relation. We're going over the halftime report, how the financial markets have fared so far in 2020. Now we get to the utility index, which is down 12%. Also, not a big surprise, Dame. Uh, in fact, Utility companies, I don't want to say they were looking for bailouts, but they were certainly looking for the ability to increase rates because of uh, the challenges they've had over this time. So it's not surprising they're down nearly 13% at the halfway point. Again, you're right. It's it's not a huge surprise. It was uh, They were facing some some stiff headwinds anyway in, in a lot of cases. So yeah, you're right there. It's, it's not a big surprise. I'm about to go on a little bit of a cycling trip. And by that, I mean, just ride my bike around the block after our show here today. And you said stiff headwinds. And now I don't want to go. I just want a chocolate shake. Just find somebody to uh, draft behind. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is sort of an antiquated index in the sense that I think most people really look at the S&P 500 for feelings as to, you know, 
which way the wind is blowing, if we're mm-hmm. going to stay with the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Dow is down roughly 10%, minus 9.55 for the year. Now, Dame, the S&P 500 is at minus 4% uh, percent for the year, which all things considered, holy cow. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a tremendous re- return is probably not the right word, but for, for performance uh, for the first half after what we experienced in the first quarter being down four seems like uh, a fantastic result to me. Can I point out something? It's it is, it is not meant to sound petty and it and it's not petty, but it definitely is salt to the wounds that those that have made this mistake when things were the worst. I believe it was March 23rd of 2020 was when the market was at the, its lowest point thus far. Um, in this crisis, if people freaked out and sold or freaked out and borrowed from their 401k or freaked out and withdrew whatever from their 401k or IRAs or their long-term investments, they locked in monumental losses that compounded their problem. Not only did they need cash, but then they just made their cash worth a lot less than it really should be worth. That's why it's so important to have an emergency fund outside of a 401k account or some other retirement account where you are going to be forced to put yourself in a disadvantageous position for the long term. Because when you need it, you need it. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And if you happen to sell at a terribly low point, man, you just put yourself into a corner and it's going to be really difficult to ever make that money back up. I never thought we'd go two segments with this particular topic, but I do want to go one and a half segments because we're not done with the list. We've got to hit the NASDAQ. we got to hit gold. And then more than anything, anytime you hear where this is bad and this is good, you need to take a look at how that affects your strategy. So when we come back, we're going to continue the halftime financial market report, tell you what you need to know and what easy mistake most people make and to make sure that you don't make that mistake as well. Damien Dunn is back on the show this week. I'm Pete the Planner. I'm always here. And this is the show. When you've only so much income and so many bills and your problems are so bad, they are vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close. There's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner show. Back on the Pete the Planner show where you're whether you're joining us on WIBC 93, WIBC in Indianapolis, or WIOU, is it Kokomo, right, Dame? Is that what Kokomo so. WIOU? I think so. I don't know where you're joining us, but thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, and this is the show. It's a financial show. We don't try to sell you anything. Why? Who wants that? Anyway, Dame, halftime report. Uh, we we're talking about the financial markets in the first half of 2020. As a quick review before we continue this segment and give you new information, let's recap what we've already covered. Oil is down 35% for the year. Transportation index down 15% for the year. I'm rounding, by the way. Mm-hmm. The Russell 2000 is down roughly 13. Now I use the word roughly to make it easier. The utility index is down 12.7. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down roughly 9.5. The S&P is down 4. And now, Dane, we get to the top two performing sort of broad indicators of the financial markets. Uh, anyway. The NASDAQ is up 12%, 12 12.11% at the halfway point. Wow, Dame. Wow. Yeah, I it's amazing to think that after everything we've went through, even with the incredibly fast recovery that some of the markets have felt, some with the one one group of stocks, one one entire exchange would be up on average twelve percent for the year. 
That's almost mind-boggling. So I just, just for a little bit of context, one of the Dow component of Dow, one of the NASDAQ components that's worth noting here is Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon is up roughly, what, 53% for the year? 53%. Actually, I'm going to pull it up because I don't want to guess on this one. And I, I, I send this message to you because I find it fascinating that something can be up that much over the course of a horrible period of time. In fact, it climbed, holy cow, it's climbed another 6% since I looked last. It's up 56% for the year. Thank you, Mr. Bezos. So if you if you say, well, okay, well, one component of the NASDAQ, which it's a, a major component, is up 56%, then that's why the NASDAQ is up 12% because of companies like that. Uh, Apple uh, is another example of uh, a company that is skyrocketing right now. Uh, and so that's why the NASDAQ is up 12%. We're more tried and true brick and mortar companies that may be in the S&P or may be uh, represented in the Dow. That's why they're not up 12% right now. You're exactly right. It's a composition of the index in this case. And if, if uh, the Dow was tech-ish heavy, um, then it would have performed a heck of a lot better than, than it has. But the NASDAQ has traditionally been uh, more tech-related uh, companies. And if you think about what we've experienced this past six months, there's been a rush to tech as people try to figure out how they are going to reshape the the reality that they are facing. And technology is going to be a big part of that for the foreseeable future. So it, it makes perfect sense that uh, a NASDAQ index would have performed well. I don't know if I would have guessed it would have done this well, but it's not surprising that the, the uh, this index has, has kind of led the way. Gold is the category that takes the gold medal. <laughs> oh my God, uh, I just came uh, up with that. Yeah. Literally, it came out as it was happening. 18.3% up on the year. That's not terribly surprising. In, in periods of uncertainty, people flee to gold. Gold bugs, if you will. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, people see gold as a way to um, find some stability in in their finances or their investments in periods of of uncertainty and turmoil. So, no, it's not surprising at all that that gold made a run. And you know, once things kind of settle out, it's probably going to go back down, and you'll have a chance to ride that roller coaster all over again when things get bad in the future. You know, there are other signs within the market we are in right now that. Uh, things are interesting. For instance, background checks by the FBI, which is a metric for gun sales, how many background checks there are represent how many guns are being purchased, mm -hmm. hit an all-time high in June. So, Dame, that certainly speaks of unrest. It speaks of oh, all sorts of things. But, but it also, you begin to see how by reading the economy, by reading trends, investors are actually able to, to make some money. Now, I'm not trying to be gross and saying, hey, everyone go buy gun stocks because we all want to shoot each other. But, but it is an interesting study in economics. There are, um, as we've said a, a few times on this, no shortage of topics that will be analyzed and studied for years and years to come. Some of the things, uh, as we've pointed out in this very conversation, the last segment and this one, are to be expected based on what we've uh, f faced. And some of them are a little surprising. And 
the individual consumer's reaction to this, I think, has been incredibly unique in some ways and played right down the script in others. So it'll be interesting to see where everything falls in another another decade and looking back to see how this how this all happened. You tie this into another weird story that came out that there's a shortage of coin, like currency coin, uh, and that the government, the Fed is just like, hey, give us some coins if you have coins and exchange it for cash. And it's it's how people have adjusted in to this uncertain time. So think of the three things that people have in their safe at home. OK, mm-hmm. a gun, mm-hmm. theoretically, gold mm-hmm. and cash, not yeah. coin cash. So th- that's fascinating to me that this this period of time when people are feeling, feeling uncertain, you've got those three things and they have broad implications across the economy to the tune of gold going up by 18% in the first half of the year, gun sales going through the roof and those stocks following. And of course, a depletion in metal coin going through circulation because of how our consumer habits have shifted in the last six months. I hadn't really thought about all that, but you're exactly right. Personally, the metals I think I'm most interested in investing in are brass and lead. Oh boy. Uh, oh, it's a uh, gun uh, joke, uh, everybody. Uh, it's a gun joke. See, because yeah. Well, how about this? Now we just talked about all these things that are up and all these things that are down, but now we need to talk about some cardinal rules of investing that people tend to just mess up and they just mess up over and over and over again. So you just heard that gold is up 18%. Now, Dame, if I if I hear that on the radio from a, a handsome set of fellas. And I think, oh, well, that's good to know. Maybe I should. What should a person do when they hear that the number one category in a six-month period is, is gold? How, how is a person to take that information and act on it? Uh, probably first and foremost, don't go buy a bunch of gold at this point. Uh, you've, right. you've, you've missed the run at this point. The easy money, so they say, has been made on those things. And if you want it to be a long-term staple of your portfolio, that's one thing. If you are running to it in a um, uh, panic, may be a bit of a strong word, but if you are greed, greed uh, if you are looking to prof- make a quick profit on something, you're going to have a really tough time on that because at this point, um, that's out the window. That, that's that's already gone. So uh, do you see differently on that, Pete? No, I see it the same way. I mean, and if you flip that idea completely around, oil's down 35%. There's a right way and a a wrong way to try to take advantage of that situation. Buying futures and Mm -hmm. uh, futures contracts, those sorts of things can get you into big trouble. Um, However, when something's down 35%, when it is historically low, Mm -hmm. and and by the way, this is not advice to go buy uh, positions in oil, but I think when things are, are depressed and you've got a long-term outlook, it's better to buy things on sale. I hate when financial advisors say that. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, that phrase. Uh, way to go. Well done. You buy, you'd buy uh, cheese if it were on sale, wouldn't you? Mm, of course. <laughs> so gross. So gross. Anyway, coming up after the break, we're actually going to answer a financial question this week. I mean, that's the point of the entire show. It's on life insurance and it's based on a column. I'm Pete the Planner. Listen to hear what it is. When you've only so much income and so many bills, and your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills, listen up close. There's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the lab. 
Puffs up the Pete the Planner Show. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, actually answering questions now. That's what this show is meant for. It's what my newspaper column is meant for. But sometimes I just want to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> Hi, Damien. Hi, Pete. Okay, here's the question. Uh, dear Pete. Hi. I read your article on not procrastinating when it comes to retirement savings and believe that's very true. So by the way, uh, Indianapolis Business Journal on Father's Day, I was uh, at my father-in-law's house and he was telling my kids the story about how his dad used to tell him to get his schoolwork done on Saturday so he could enjoy his Sunday nights. You know, classic, you know, don't procrastinate. But but really the saying it that way involves anxiety it, it, it uh, introduces anxiety and the importance of avoiding it okay right it, yeah. it, in my estimation in my 750 word dissertation that i wrote in the indianapolis business journal about how people tend to ignore that when it comes to their financial life sure there's the prudence of letting time do work for you but then the other side of that is all the anxiety we create by waiting to take action on things like retirement savings and in life insurance, back to the email. You also mentioned life insurance. And my question is, if my husband and I each have life and disability policies through our employers, is that sufficient? Both of us have high coverage amounts. Neither of us have separate policies. Of course, if there was an, if there was an employment separation, we know that life insurance would need to be purchased. I look forward to hearing from you. Dion or Dion. 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 D-I-O-N-N-E. Where would you go with that? Dion. Dion? Okay. Um, Damn, this is a classic question. I mean, I I feel like story time. It's story time. 1998, I was an intern at Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance, which they called you a college agent, which, you know, you learn about the business world. You learn about some financial instruments. Mm Mm-hmm. But really, the point of the position is for you to take your personal circle of influence and introduce them to the senior agents within the agency so they can make them life insurance clients. Yeah, it's a great deal. Yeah. It, but, you know, you get to make some money, you get licensed, and, and you do truly learn how some of these things work. Um, and Dame is one of the top 100 college agents in the country. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, y- you learn... The first week, the inadequacy of group life insurance coverage and where it falls short in assisting people in their darkest hour. How about that copy? Wow. <laughs> well, I'm on fire today. Yeah. What is happening? Um, that has to be one of the earliest lessons you learned in financial planning too, or, or, or no? Yeah, let's uh, before we go down that road, let's talk about the pros of of group term. I think because I think I think there are some some things that should be pointed out. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's if you if you do the old Benjamin Franklin T chart, there's at least four or five pros and maybe the same amount of cons, but the cons seem uh, like there's more risk to them. But go ahead and cover the pros. Sure. So, uh, guaranteed coverage uh, for one. Uh, if you if, uh, don't have uh, the um, ability to get life insurance on your own, there's a really good likelihood that you can get insurance through your employer if they have a group policy. So great opportunity there, right? Yep, absolutely. Rates are inexpensive. A term, a group term is going to be probably some of the cheapest insurance on average that you're going to be able to find. So uh, you get coverage and it's pretty darn cheap. 
So two big things, I think two of the things that most people care about are covered right there. Okay. And, and there's, there's another one that's not necessarily an isolated pro as much as it is a, a factor in this is that some group coverages allow you to convert mm-hmm. to your own personal policy upon termination from employment. Uh, sometimes you have to prove health. Sometimes you don't, but that is a neat feature. Sure. Uh, but it, it doesn't often solve the problems because the conversion isn't generally dollar for dollar. And if you already have health issues, then it, it's going to be an issue. And please don't mistake uh, Pete and Mai's position on this. We are um, group term insurance through your employer is a nice benefit. It is not something to be uh, turned your nose up at and and, and go the other way. It, it can be a very very uh, good benefit for you and your family. So um, I would I would go on top of that and just say if you have the opportunity to get a lot of very cheap group term insurance through your employer. Uh, nine times out of 10, I would tell you to get it. It's, I, I can't think of a reason unless it, it is somehow expensive that you would not just load up on whatever your employer allows you because it is so cheap. Yeah. And while this is a, a good opportunity to you know bolster the security of your family uh, for the time that you're working with that employer, we can't count on it. We can't make this the cornerstone of our security going forward, which I think transitions us to the con side of the T-chart. Yeah, it does. And it and it's always the same story. It's, hey, I worked at a place for 18 years. I got a job right out of college. By the time I was 40, I developed diabetes or asthma or um, had a lot of tough bouts with depression, uh, you know, became a regular user of marijuana. And I'm saying these things because in underwriting, those are four classic things that make your price, well, previously made your price go through the roof. Um, And these are things that maybe not necessarily were part of your life when you were 22 years old and you were getting all this cheap uh, insurance through your employer. So it's your circumstances change, your health changes, and and the root of all of this is your age changes. So you're theoretically are getting closer to being dead when you have to purchase it on your own. And that is problematic. Yeah. Age and health are going to be the two big drivers uh, of the cost of what you are going to pay for insurance, whether that's term or permanent insurance of some flavor. Uh, if you have the opportunity to get a policy when you are young and healthy, and make it a longer duration term policy. If you go that route, it's going to be cheap to do it. And you won't have to worry about whether or not you are tied to your employer because of the benefits that you are receiving from them, or at least that's one less that you will have to be concerned with. So if you have the ability to go out and get your own policy that goes with you wherever you go, that's the way you do this. Even if it's just a block, you know, if it's a quarter of a million, because it's usually sold in blocks of a million, quarter million, and then you get these price breaks, 500, a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting a quarter million of 20-year term, 10-year term, it, it's based on your age too. For us at our house, our financial planning revolves around getting our kids out of the house. When they are through college, we feel like our liability really goes down quite a bit and we don't feel the need to have as much insurance in those periods. And that's an interesting conversation to have. If you are married, um, start talking about what your needs really are. Do you want to make sure the mortgage is covered? Do you want to make sure college is paid for? 
Um, you want to make sure that the remaining spouse, if, if just one of you passes away, is able to uh, essentially not work for a couple of years to attend to the family and then to be able to travel to wherever the kids may move throughout the country and, and just uh, have the flexibility and the freedom to not have to worry so much about that, um, about the, you know, all the other tertiary things that come with a major life change at that point. So if you haven't had a conversation, if you haven't had the life insurance conversation with, with a spouse, um, do it and start to unpack, uh, what both of you really feel is important. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a great conversation, but it's a really, really important one. It was my experience that when people try to have this conversation for the first time and try to walk themselves through it, that they often classify the death of of one person within the couple on paper, they make it look like it's a, a like a just a blip on the radar. You know, they make it look like oh, we got this and that, and, and they never let their minds go far enough yep. as to the deep impact that the passing of someone has, and in that. That's frustrating because as someone who used to help people in financial planning and, and life insurance was part of that, that's a hard thing to explain without feeling like you're turning the screws on someone is that, hey, this is going to alter your life, obviously, but for years financially, and that's tough. It's a fine line to walk between really showing somebody the reality of what to expect and not feeling like you're trying to push them in a direction they may not want to go. Coming up after the break. We're hit the biggest waste of money of the week and more. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. When you've only so much income and so many bills, and your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills, listen up close, there's a place that you can go. It's comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show. This week's biggest waste of money, the boom right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... All right, Dame, I send this one to you midweek. If you really love your home, and are looking for a fun way to preserve the memories of how it looks now for years to come, here's something you might want to consider. Uh, Currently, aerial, aerial photograph? You know what? Possibly. What we're going to find out here soon is what is cheaper. Because okay. you know, if you have a friend with a drone, yeah, it's free. Right. Currently, there's an Etsy seller called Little Brick Lane that offers custom mini replicas of your home created entirely out of Lego bricks. These Lego houses run around 1.75. Oh, wait, that's $1.75 multiplied by the total square footage of your home. So if you have a 2,500 square foot home, you'll pay around $3,500 for your Lego model home replica. Dame, so I'm looking at these. First of all, shout out to this Etsy seller. Cool business. Interesting. Sure. I'm not making fun of you. Sure. Okay. Really interesting. And then you like, they go from there. You can do the inside and to look like your rooms. I mean, it, they're intense. But Dame, how much money do you have to have to pay for a Lego replica of your own house? And by the way, if you're that into Legos, wouldn't you just make your own reg Lego replica of your own house? I think so. I does it come? Does this does this uh, little brick road uh, model come plumbed? And can I rent it out on Airbnb? That's a good question. It's not. It's not to scale. Like uh. it's scaled down. The other thing is here. Do you remember the movie Beetlejuice? Yeah. Okay. It's one of my favorite movies. 
So Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin are dead and they live in their attic. Oh, I'm not ruining this for anybody because it came out in the eighties. And they got the little replica town, you know, his little model town. And I remember as a kid watching this movie, there's a lot to consume as a kid in that movie and to understand. But I just, I kept going back to that town. And, and it also, there was like a little miniature town in Back to the Future when they're trying to figure out the clock tower lightning strike. And I always thought, man, someday I'm going to have a replica of my town. But I've never taken the time to do it. Do you think, Dame, this is a sign from all the gods that are like, this is the time now to get a replica? I think if you do that, we are going to enshrine you as the lifetime uh, grand poobah of biggest waste of money of the week. It'll just be your category from here on out. It is an interesting concept to have a, you know, a picture of your house. And, and by the way, when Mrs. Planner and I moved into the, our current abode, uh, as opposed to commode, we have a picture of what it looks like then. And we can go outside and look at what it looks like now. And yeah, it's changed a lot. But I like your idea of an aerial picture a little bit more of a, than a, a Lego situation. In my neck of the woods, a more rural area than of Indiana than what you are um, located in, it's not uncommon for somebody just to drop by and knock on the door with a uh, four by six photo of your house from the air because they are trying to solicit uh, you to get that put onto a much bigger canvas. And so they just fly around and take pictures of people's houses and say, hey, you could have this in a much bigger format. Uh, if you would just fork over some some cash, not nearly thirty. Uh, it's usually a couple hundred bucks, I think. To can we role play this? Can I be the 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 intrepid photographer? Sure. <laughs> Honey, can you get that? No. All right, I got it. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm Gary. Hi, Gary. What are you here for? Well, I you see this picture of your house here. I took it. I was in my white van with no windows out there. You can see it in your driveway. I was talking to your kids. And um, I will sell you a picture of your own home for a couple hundred dollars. How does that sound to you? I took it with a telephoto lens from miles away. Honey, get the gun. See, exactly. And scene. Uh, so maybe a drone's the better way to go. Is that what really what happens to people in the country? Like, is this because I always grew up in the city? People will knock on your door and try to sell you pictures of your own home. It hasn't happened here in a long time, uh, at least at my house. But um, I have, I have a picture that in my house that my dad bought that same way, and it's it's happened uh, it's happened to me here since we've moved up here. So in the last um, eight years, but it, I don't think it happens quite as often as it used to. I feel like my dad's our family business had like the old aerial shot of the shop you know yeah yeah right yeah sure sure. by the way let's not let this go without saying that was the finest acting that you have done on this show with we've had a few opportunities this is the best you've done and the line to end it was your finest moment i'm getting more comfortable with the dynamics of talking around the mic and away from the mic and and all that so i've i've uh, I've watched some youtube videos i know what's going on thank you i guess we have to talk about what's theoretically in the next stimulus package because we've speculated this on months now um if i were to put it to you right now what elements are in there what are the basics what are we going to see uh an extension of the unemployment uh benefit from the federal government i think is going to be a no-brainer really yeah i do i 100 percent disagree with you really 
I don't think it's going to be in there. And by the way, I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm saying I don't think it will be. Wow, this is you. Wow, we disagree on this. Yeah, so I think it will be in there, but it will uh, function a little bit differently. It, maybe it um, maybe it scales down over a course of time. Uh, maybe it uh, maybe you qualify for it a little bit differently. I don't know if it will just be an automatic uh, extension of, of what it is, I, but I think it will be out there as a uh, olive branch to to help get the deal done. So I, I think some way that uh, additional benefit from the federal government will be in the next bill. Uh, you know, I, your argument actually makes some sense there. It's sort of, it's a bargaining chip, but I, I don't know if I, I'm cynical or what, but I do not hold out hope that that'll be in the bill, which gives me a lot of anxiety because my number one concern as it relates to the economy is that all of these unemployment benefits are going away. And while the jobs are slightly coming back, they're not coming back in the tens of millions, which they need to, they're coming back a, a million or two per month, which the math doesn't work there. Right. All right. So do you think direct payments to Americans will be in the bill? I do. I think that will be a little bit more nuanced this time as well. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a blank, not a blank check, but a, a check, a blanket, <laughs> yeah, a blank, yeah, a blanket <laughs> check to, to virtually everybody. I, I think you will, uh, have to qualify on a little bit tighter uh, qualifications this time around. Interesting. I, I think there will definitely be direct payments and I think they're going to try to get cute with them. But I, you know, I read an article, let's say I'm trying to figure out the dates here. It was on July 1st that president Trump wants bigger payments than the last time around the biggest. And I didn't, didn't feel like he put any qualifiers. <laughs> did you say the biggest? I did. <laughs> I did a radio interview. Okay, we're going off the rails here. I did a radio interview yesterday for IBJ's podcast, which is going to come out the day after people are hearing this for the first time. So this is July 5th show. July 6th, the, the IBJ podcast comes out. And Mason, my friend who's the host of the show, says, you know, some in Washington with rose-tinted glasses think, and I said, or orange skin. <laughs> and, it, and like I said it because he's my friend, and we're, I was just joking, but then I was like, that's an actual business podcast, like a serious thing. And it's out there. And then, so I had a bunch of anxiety after the interview. I was like, wow, should I email him and be like, Hey, can you clip that? <laughs> they are fantastic with their editing at IBJ. So that may never see the light of day, except now that you've said it. Uh, but anyway, Trump said that he thinks there'll be bigger payments. Um, I don't, I think there will be too. I, I think, if you want to say, what's the real focus of this bill going to be? I think you're going to see big payments to the American household. And I also think there's this weird reemployment bonus, which I get, but makes no sense to me because if the jobs aren't there, you're incentivizing people to do what? You're essentially penalizing people who can't find jobs. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the focus of this bill is going to be uh, not alienating voters, essentially. It's an election year, and so they're going to do everything they can to make sure people are happy. You know, that's actually a good point. I, I think uh, as we wrap the show here, there was prudence some and and waiting to see what the economy needs. But also the closer we get to election season, the more that is going to taint what is in the bill. That's all we have time for this week. Sending good vibes because good vibes are all this in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. I'm sorry for everything I said. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs A 
Pete, the planner show.